Welcome back to Certain Comfort in Uncertain Times, a look through the book of Revelation. Over the past several weeks, we've been going through Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we've looked at his letter to a loveless church, a suffering church, an idolatrous church, an immoral church, a lifeless church, and a persevering church. And today we're going to look at the seventh letter, the letter to the church at Laodicea, a letter to a comfortable church. This church, of course, this letter, of course, uh, has the classic illustration of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Uh, this, this picture that is so common in, in children's books, it's used in sermon illustrations, evangelistic crusades, and that's really all this letter is known for. And yet we often even misinterpret not only that illustration, but the letter itself. And so we are going to look at this letter to the church at Laodicea today. And so follow along as I read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot, neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Of the seven churches that Jesus writes to, the church at Laodicea is the only church that's not afflicted by persecution from without or by false teaching from within. And yet they are the church that receives perhaps Jesus' harshest words. Because this church unlike the others, had strayed from the gospel, not because they were afraid or because they were deceived, but because they were comfortable. And so as we look at Jesus' words to these churches, we see two things that he calls both the church at Laodicea and, and all churches. Because remember, that those who have ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches includes us. It includes our churches today. And so there's two things he calls us to turn from And one thing he calls us to turn to. So the first of those things is that Jesus calls us to turn from self-interest. Jesus calls us to turn from self-interest. He says in verses 15 and 16, I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. As he has done in most of these letters, Jesus takes something that is true of the local city and applies it to the local church. 
The city of Laodicea did not have its own clean water supply. It had no access to either hot or cold springs, and the city's own water supply was so full of sediment that it could not be drunk without causing illness. And so Laodicea had a pipe in water from outside the city through a system of aqueducts. And the only problem is, is that by the time this water reached the city, it had traveled so far that it was lukewarm. And lukewarm water is bad, especially in the ancient world, not just because it's room temperature, but because it's disgusting and good for nothing. Hot water was cleansing and healing. It could be used for baths, uh, hot springs, even into modern times, were considered to have health benefits that led the ill to seek them out. And of course, hot drinks like tea are still popular today, especially when we're sick. Cold water, on the other hand, was cooling and refreshing. In the heat of the day or when you are thirsty or dehydrated, you typically want cold water to refresh you and to cool you off. And so we should notice that both hot and cold are good things here in Jesus' letter to Laodicea. Jesus is not using, as we so often do, hot in reference to spiritual fervor and cold in reference to spiritual laziness, where it's good to be a hot Christian and bad to be a cold Christian. Rather, it's lukewarm that's bad. Hot and cold are both good. And so by telling the church at Laodicea that they are lukewarm, Jesus is essentially telling them that they have reached the point that they are good for nothing. They are not spiritually cleansing or healing as if they were hot, and they are not spiritually refreshing as if they were cold. Instead, they're lukewarm. The church at Laodicea existed without any real purpose or benefit to themselves or the surrounding community. They are of no benefit to themselves or others. They just are. They just exist. But it's important to notice that they hadn't actually stopped gathering as a church. This letter is written to the church gathered. But it would seem that this church gathered had become more of a social club than anything else. They gathered every Sunday morning, perhaps even midweek for a service. And yet they did not gather for any really Christian purpose. They existed more for their own comfort, for the comfort of the people that were there rather than for the spiritual benefit of those both without and within the church. And so to the church at Laodicea and to all churches who exist solely for their own comfort, Jesus essentially says, you make me want to puke. Jesus says that because they are lukewarm, he wants to vomit them out of his mouth. And that's how the water metaphor is brought to its conclusion. It's not just that lukewarm water doesn't satisfy when one, what one wants is a, a hot glass of tea or a cold glass of water. It's that the lukewarm water, being neither hot nor cold, is contaminated. And therefore, it makes Jesus' stomach churn. And that's because a church that's lukewarm, a church that exists for its own comfort and little else, is denying Jesus' own command and promise for his church. As Jesus prepared to ascend into heaven after his 40 days of ministering to the church after the resurrection uh, in the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. A lukewarm church forgets both the command and the promise. It forgets that they are supposed to be going and uh, baptizing, making disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded them. But it also forgets that Jesus is with them to the end of the age. There's, they forget that Jesus is the head of the church and the body is supposed to live in obedience to the head. And so we saw some churches earlier in the, in the letters that, who were really good at going. They were really good at loving those outside the church and of making disciples of unbelievers, but not so good at teaching them to observe everything that Jesus had commanded them. And we saw other churches who were really good at teaching Christians to observe Jesus' commands, but who lacked the love that motivates the church to get outside of its own walls and make disciples. But the church at Laodicea was doing neither. They had neither love nor truth because they were completely consumed with themselves. They did not love God or his truth, and they did not love their neighbor as themselves, to the point that it literally made Jesus sick. And it is a warning that just as in the church at Laodicea for for any or all of us with no outside pressure or inside false teaching to combat, we can easily succumb to navel gazing, to making the church about what we're comfortable with rather than about what is spiritually healthy or spiritually refreshing. And all you really have to do is probably look at church budgets or the the minutes of business meetings and see the things that we debate, see the things that we spend money on, smoke machines and big light arrays and comfy seats uh, instead of pews or whatever else we spend money on, all kinds of banquets and gatherings instead of missions and outreach and evangelism. About disciple making, both evangelizing unbelievers and training up believers. And so Jesus calls us to turn from that self-interest, to recognize that the church ultimately is not about us. Secondly, Jesus calls us to turn from self-sufficiency. Jesus calls us to turn from self-sufficiency. In verses 17 and 18, he says, For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Laodicea was a very wealthy city to the point that when the city was decimated by an earthquake in the year AD 60, or about 30 years or so before Revelation was probably written, it rebuilt itself without any financial assistance from Rome. In other words, like America, Laodicea was a place that gave financial assistance rather than receiving financial assistance. They didn't need foreign aid, they distributed foreign aid. And Laodicea as a city was self-sufficient and boasted in their self-sufficiency. They were proud of the fact that they did not need any other city's help. The problem was that the city of Laodicea had become as boastfully 
or the church of Laodicea had become as boastfully self-sufficient as the culture in which they lived. And while there may be some spiritual connotation in verse 17, uh, Jesus might be alluding to them being spiritually poor when they thought they were spiritually rich. That's probably not what Jesus is necessarily getting at. Instead, I think it's more likely that he's telling the church at Laodicea that their confidence and their trust were in their wealth and that therefore they were actually poor. The Laodiceans looked down on their neighboring cities as wretched and pitiful. They had to receive aid from others while mighty Laodicea was able to take care of their own needs and then some. But Jesus is saying that it's actually Laodicea, more specifically the church at Laodicea, that is actually wretched and pitiful and poor. And in calling the church at Laodicea poor, blind, and naked, Jesus is attacking their very sources of confidence. In calling them poor, Jesus attacks their banking industry, which was a major source of their wealth. In calling them blind, he attacks their medical industry, which had produced an eye ointment, renowned around the world for curing diseases of the eye and reversing blindness. And in calling them naked, he attacks their profitable textile industry, the backbone of which was black wool. And Jesus calls out these industries because the church had placed its confidence in them just as much as the city as a whole had. And you can even think about when he tells them to turn to him that they may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. And that should call us back to Genesis where Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed and God clothes them. In other words, what Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea is that for all of their their wealth, all of their confidence in their own strength and in their own ability, they were essentially covering up their shame with fig leaves. And Jesus says that instead of looking to the city to supply their wealth, their clothing, and their medicine, the church should look instead to him. Again, in verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. And this verse, like so many others in Revelation, should pull us back to the Old Testament. And specifically Isaiah chapter 55 verses 1 and 2 where it says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. The implication is that The Laodiceans were spending their money on cheap imitations of that which Jesus gives freely. They were buying that which was not really food to try and satisfy their longings. They were trying to buy that, uh, spend their money on that which will never satisfy them. Trying to buy wine that would never satisfy their thirst. Instead of placing their hope, confidence, and trust in their earthly citizenship, Jesus is calling them to place it instead in their heavenly 
citizenship. And that's exactly how Jesus identifies himself. In verse 14, he says to write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Jesus is the amen, the faithful and true witness. He is, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, that every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is the only one who can and who does deliver on his promises. For all of the promises that we might cling to, for money-back guarantees, for FDIC insurance, for whatever other guarantees we look to, Jesus is really the only one who can ever deliver on his promises. Or even we might boast in the Declaration of Independence's promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you don't have to look very hard in American history to see all the ways that we have failed to deliver on that promise. Or we may boast in our country's financial system or our health care system or our manufacturing industry, just as the church at Laodicea did. But again, you don't need to look very hard to see that our manufacturing has been in steep decline for decades, that our financial and health care systems have shown signs of cracking. Again, we are recording this in the middle of the COVID crisis in 2020, and it has shaken our healthcare and financial systems. And what Jesus calls us to is the same thing that he calls the church at Laodicea to recognize that our hope, confidence, trust, and boasting in our earthly city, even if that earthly city is the United States of America, will prove to be just as vain as Laodicea's was. Because Jesus is the only one who can deliver on his promises. But Jesus also identifies himself as the originator of God's creation. And depending on what translation you're looking at as you follow along, your translation might say ruler. Uh, But Jesus literally is identifying himself as the beginning or the cause of God's creation. And as the beginning or the cause of God's creation, both in its original form in Genesis 1 and in the new creation that was begun on Easter Sunday, it is he who has the power and the authority to supply the needs of the church. Again, just as God provided for Adam and Eve's sin and shame, so Jesus will provide for ours as well in a much more complete and satisfying way than we could ever produce on our own. In light of the cause of creation, in light of Jesus as the originator of God's creation and new creation, looking to our earthly city for our confidence, our hope, or for our needs to be met seems downright silly. And so Jesus calls us to turn from self-interest. He calls us to turn from our self-sufficiency. And he calls us to turn to self-denial. Jesus calls us to turn to self-denial. In verses 19 and 20, he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him 
and eat with him and he with me. As I mentioned briefly last week and at the beginning of this message, we tend to take Revelation 3.20 woefully out of context. We use it in evangelistic sermons and tell unbelievers that Jesus is knocking on their heart's door and so just open the door of your hearts that Jesus can come in. But that's not at all what's happening here because this passage is addressed not to unbelievers but to believers. Uh, but we also tend to make it, use it to make salvation about our choice as though Jesus is standing impotently at the door, just hoping with all hope that we'll respond to his voice and open the door. But as we saw last week, Jesus already identified himself to the church at Philadelphia as the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. As we said last week, it is Jesus who opens the door of salvation to you. You don't open it yourself. In fact, what Jesus is really saying here in, in Revelation 3.20, the door that John is writing about is not that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, but he's knocking on the door of the church. Uh, this letter is not written to an individual believer. It's written to a church gathered at Laodicea. What Jesus is saying is that the church at Laodicea had everything, wealth, nice clothes, good medicine, all the security anyone could ever want. The only problem was that for all of that, they did not have Jesus. They were gathering inside the church every Sunday, and yet Jesus was on the outside of the church. There was nothing to do with the church gathering on Sunday that had anything to do with Jesus, anything to do with learning his promises, with obeying his commands, with growing in intimacy with him, with bringing new believers into fellowship with him. The church was all about them and not at all about Jesus. And so Jesus is really, in Revelation 3.20, not begging to be let in to individuals' hearts, but really rebuking the church for what they had become. They had become a group of people that were gathering and keeping Jesus on the outside. And so what he's doing in verse 20 is calling the church back in to fellowship. He is calling them to bring him back in to the church. It is Jesus remaining faithful even when the church is faithless. The church had pushed Jesus to the outside. And Jesus is saying, hey guys, remember me? I'm the whole reason you're supposed to be gathering. Just because the church makes him want to vomit them out of his mouth doesn't mean that he is going to. And so even in the midst of their faithlessness, Jesus is faithful, stands at the door so that they might open it, let him back in, that he might eat with them and they with him. James 4.4 makes a similar point about this fellowship. As Jesus' half-brother wrote, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. The church at Laodicea had entered into fellowship with the world. They had left fellowship with Jesus. They were no longer eating with Jesus and instead were fellowshipping with the world. But unlike the other churches in the area, they weren't doing that through false teaching 
or idolatry or sexual immorality. They were doing it through nationalism and materialism. They had traded fellowship with Jesus for fellowship with the world system, with their country, with their city's structure, and with materialistic gain. And really, they are much like the opponents that Paul encountered in the church at Philippi, or in the the city of Philippi, where he wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Then look at how he describes these enemies of the cross of Christ. We might think of things like, oh, they're engaged in sexual immorality, or they're voting the wrong way, or uh, any of the other things that we normally think of as being enemies of Christ. But those who are enemies of Christ, their end is destruction. Paul says their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. This is the problem in the church at Laodicea. It's that their God was their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They were focused on earthly things. So instead of being focused on heavenly things, instead of recognizing their citizenship in heaven, instead of eagerly awaiting a savior in the Lord Jesus Christ, they became very content with what this world has to offer. They became very content with amassing wealth. They became very content with having the finest clothes and manufactured goods. They became very content with physical health instead of spiritual health. And so in Revelation, we see Jesus saying something very similar in giving the promised reward for repenting from fellowship with the world and entering back into fellowship with God. Because in verse 21, to the one who conquers, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes this temptation to fellowship with the world, to get very comfortable with earthly things, Jesus says, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Boasting in our earthly citizenship in light of our heavenly citizenship isn't just silliness, it's unfaithfulness. In focusing on earthly things instead of heavenly things, in placing our hope, confidence, and trust in our earthly citizenship rather than our heavenly citizenship, and in boasting about America rather than about God. We have found ourselves in the position where we have everything we could ever need except for Jesus. And so as we endure a very trying time, again, in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, we should see this as Jesus on the outside looking in, knocking on the door to remind us that fellowship with him is worth far more than any fellowship with the world. Jesus is reminding us that all of the things of this world that we place our confidence in, place our hope in, our trust in, that we look to to meet our needs, are all jeopardized. They all fail to fulfill their promise 
because a virus that we can't control started to spread. And so if we hear Jesus knocking today, it's not him asking to be invited back into your heart. It's asking him to be let back inside his church. It's him telling us not to make America great again, but to make the church Christian again. It's his reminder to us that it is he and he alone who belongs on the throne of our church, our lives, and our world. Thank you for joining us as we've looked at the final of the seven letters to the churches, the church at Laodicea. And join us next time as we jump into Revelation chapter 4 as John's vision moves from this earth up into the heavenly sphere.